It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Here we go with Malia Jacobson as your host. Hello and welcome to Sleep Well, Stay Well. I'm your host, sleep and health journalist, Malia Jacobson. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and I am so glad that you're here. This is episode 26, which means I have been doing this for six months, all in quarantine. It feels like a milestone of some sort. Anyway, for more on me, my background, and why I started this podcast, you can go back to my very first episode. I guess it's called the trailer episode, Introducing Sleep Well, Stay Well, Sleep Well, Stay Well, where I give more information about that. Okay, on to today's topic, wearable sleep trackers. If you have an activity tracker, millions of us do, and there are many brands out there, Garmin, Whoop, Fitbit, and others, you also have a sleep tracker, whether or not you actually use it to track your sleep. But how much do you really know about the sleep data you're getting? How accurate is it? Are there ways that you can get more out of this thing that you may already have? And what should you know about what's coming in terms of sleep tracking technology and what can we look for in this space? Today's guest is one that I've interviewed several times for articles on sleep tracking um, for women's health and runner's world. And I have always been fascinated with sleep tracking technology, even though actually I rarely use it myself. Uh, But I am interested in it because the science is still emerging and it's fun to watch and see it grow and change and develop in terms of helping people to learn more about their own habits and how they can um, tweak and improve. And I should note that this podcast is not sponsored by any fitness tracker brand, but this guest and the brand that he represents have always been really open about their work and what's ahead in the world of sleep tracking technology, which is nice. And as a reporter, I appreciate that because it makes my work a little bit easier. Connor Hennigan, PhD, is Director of Research Algorithms at Fitbit. He joined Fitbit in 2015 and has led efforts in the development of sleep tracking and other physiological metrics using Fitbit technology. Prior to Fitbit, he worked at ResMed as chief engineer. Let's go meet Connor. Hi, Connor. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to speak with you again. Hi, Malia. Nice to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the last time we spoke, it was for a feature in Runner's World on sleep. And I think things have changed. There's been developments at Fitbit since we last spoke. But first, I want to give the listeners some background about what people should know about using a fitness tracker to track their sleep. What are the capabilities and limitations of the technology um, as it stands today? Sure. So you know, Fitbit has been measuring sleep as a core part of its offering for you know, a long time. Uh, I think over, oh, it must be nine years now. Um, so it, what we can do with a tracker is you can measure a person's movements and you can measure a person's heart rate. Uh, so that allows us to make a very good estimate, not only of how long a person is sleeping, uh, but also to tell a little bit about the stages of sleep that they're in. So a core feature we've had for the last four years is what's called sleep stages, where we distinguish between deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep, and then the wake periods that are natural during the night's uh, sleeping event. 
so we believe, you know, we provide a lot of very detailed and rich information uh, in terms of the, the qu uh, quantitative amounts of the various types of sleep. And we've also provided a qualitative interpretation to our sleep score metric, which combines various aspects of your different sleep stages and your duration and your degree of movement during sleep into a single number uh, that you can kind of use as a reference point between zero and 100 as to the, the quality of your sleep. Uh, so, I mean, uh, you know, also to be upfront, it's not the same as going to a full sleep laboratory where they measure your brain waves and they measure your, your uh, ECG directly. Uh, but in terms of what you can pack into a smart tracker or a smart watch, uh, we, we, you know, we really have a, a lot of confidence in the information we can feed back to people. Right. And the research has really shown that it is really quite accurate when it comes to tracking the amount of total sleep that people are getting very similar to what um, the response would be actually from a sleep lab. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So there's been quite a few validation studies. So before we launched uh, these features ourselves, we worked both internally and with an external partner, SRI International, to uh, look at the, the, the accuracy of the device. And subsequent to that, there's actually been quite a few publications uh, by independent researchers just basically bought the device for themselves and tried it out on their populations. So yeah, so we, we remain you know, very confident in the overall accuracy, particularly around capturing the long-term trends that people have. So if people are working on say, dropping caffeine or trying to get a better wind down routine, they should be able to see those patterns emerge in their data reliably. Right, that was my understanding as well, that, um, it, that interpreting the data is more useful if you have a sense of your own norm or what your own trends are so that you can, can look for patterns, which is helpful because even if you do get the opportunity to go to a sleep lab, maybe something that's something that someone might do once or twice in their life, they're not going to be able to see the trends um, in that data the way they would their personal sleep data um, in their app. So For I think sure. that that is really interesting. So can you talk about sleep score? Because that was something that came out, I think um, that was recently launched or that was new when we spoke a few months ago for Runner's World. And that was um, something that can help people kind of interpret some of that data that's showing up on their app that they are getting every night if they wear their tracker to bed. Um, and and they might not know kind of what to do with some of that information that's coming their way. And so my understanding um, was that sleep score was kind of something to help people interpret that data and, and use it to, to make decisions. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is and how people can, how, how that can help people uh, get more out of their data? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you've done it in one. Uh, part of the reason to develop sleep score was to just make it a little bit easier for people to get at a quick glance to get a, an overall sense of their night's sleep. So as I well, said previously, yeah. we're, you know, we're measuring durations, we're measuring different stages of sleep, we're measuring the degree of restlessness. So it's a very rich data set. Uh, but you know, sometimes people don't want to have all that data in front of them. It's, you know, they get up first thing in the morning, they're heading out for work, they want to just get a quick sense. So the sleep score basically combines three different aspects. Uh, it looks at firstly the total amount of time you're asleep and whether you had any sort of sustained wake periods during the night. It looks at kind of uh, whether you had any deep and REM and whether you had the appropriate amount for your age and gender. And then the last thing it looks at is we call it restoration. It looks at some of the physiological behavior during sleep. So specifically, is your heart rate 
calming down to its base level? Are you moving more than usual during the night? Uh, so those three aspects are combined into, this, I say, a single number between one and 100, where most people, the typical favorite users, getting sort of 75 to 80 out of 100 as a, a good average. But you can kind of see that they, the night-to-night variations, if, if for example, uh, you have to get up very early and cut your sleep short and miss some REM sleep, you'll see a dip. Or a very common thing is alcohol can be quite disturbing to your sleep. So you, know, you might see on a Friday night or Saturday night, if you've had a couple of glasses of wine, that you might see a slight decrease in your sleep score because of the impact of alcohol, particularly on your heart rate while you sleep. Okay, thank you. And then is that is that a measure that would also get become more valuable over time as it as the um, data kind of accumulates or as people can see trends in their in their own data? Or is that um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I think I totally agree that uh, obviously there's going to be short term fluctuations. The example you just gave where you know having to get up early a particular morning or uh, particular event in your life, but I think we're also interested in the long-term trends where people are trying to make lifestyle changes. Uh, so, for example, a person might focus in on their wind-down routine to, you know, give themselves a better buffer between the daytime activity and going to sleep. And what you'd be looking for there is some uh, average increase in your sleep score as you kind of adopt those new behaviors. And that that's the type of thing we have seen, uh, particularly maybe not not so uh, not, um, uh, fortunate, but during the, the COVID pandemic, we actually saw sleep durations and sleep scores increase uh, during the beginning of the shelter in place orders as people did actually have more time to, uh, to sleep and were under a little less pressure on the commute side. Right, that is really interesting. That does align with what I've been hearing from professionals and from people as well, that folks are sleeping more um, kind of Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's not, if they're sort of sleeping around the clock instead of sticking to their more or less routine. But yeah, people are mm-hmm. getting a little bit more sleep. So the data set is responsive. So you're seeing it move around and, um, and respond to changes and trends. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we saw approximately a 20-minute increase in the duration of sleep at the start of the, the pandemic. Uh, so you know, across the population, that's quite a significant shift. Right, and um, this has been out for a few months now, or maybe a little bit longer than that. So what type of feedback are you hearing from people and from users about the sleep score? Um, And is that uh, influencing what you're looking at for the future? Yeah, so I think on on the whole, sleep score has been very positively received. Uh, The sleep tile or the sleep features in Fitbit are one of the most highly engaged features. So people really do check in on it every day. Oh, that's uh, I think people have, have appreciated the kind of simplicity of having a, a single score. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, one, I suppose some of the things we've been looking at is in particular with some of our newer features that are in the premium service is the links between mindfulness, meditation and sleep. Um, we've seen some interesting results there. One of the things that I thought was, was kind of interesting was uh, reduced time to fall asleep for a group of users who were consistently using a, a wind down meditation routine that's available through Fitbit Premium. So I think people, are, as kind of wearables evolve and particularly as we begin to add in content and more advice, I think people are really beginning to experiment and find what works for them. Yeah, that is really interesting. 
Yeah, um, I am curious about kind of how the sleep tracking technology has changed over the past five years or so. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, is it is it more just becoming more embedded in people's lives in terms of adding content or have there actually been changes to the technology that are making sleep tracking more valuable or more accurate? Yeah, so there's a couple, couple of items going on. I suppose in the background on the technical side, uh, some of the things that Fitbit has, has worked on, which probably don't jump off the page directly, is you know, we, we always work on our, our battery life. Uh, so we think that's really important for a smartwatch to you know, not require you to have to charge your, your, your device at night. Is, so we have yeah. seven-day battery <laughs> life. Um, the second thing is, in the, in the background, we're also working away at the optical technology that underlies the ability to detect heart rate. Uh, which is the key, which is a key contributor to the algorithm. So there's actually been some some uh, improvements in the overall quality of the signal that's being fed into the sleep algorithms. Uh, and I say, I really our focus has been uh, on bringing the more holistic picture of what can you do. So, for example, um, I've already mentioned Fitbit Premium, where we were bringing I think over 100 pieces of different content which are related to either wind down routines or specific meditation exercises or body scan or breathing exercises. And we found a lot of take up in that area around people who are trying to use it to improve their sleep habits. Uh, so I think that I say there's some sort of electronics and core technical work going on, but there's also a lot of work on the behavior change and content side. Right, yeah, thank you for explaining that. So you mentioned, COVID and some shifts that you saw in behavior around COVID. I'm curious about how COVID has impacted your work on the research side. Has it affected the way that you're approaching the types of data that you're looking for or anything else in uh, the way that you're looking at this technology and how people are using it? Yeah, so I mean, a couple of things. Well, firstly, just from a day-to-day -day as a Fitbit employee, we're sheltering in place while working from home. Um, which you know, has its own challenges. And also, you know, Fitbit spends a lot of effort on testing and we, you know, we have a, a, a fully equipped lab with treadmills and bicycles and everything. And you know, we've had to figure out ways to do that testing differently. So we've had to actually develop at-home tests uh, where people are you know, doing runs under supervision and so on. Uh, so that's been pretty interesting from a sort of work point of view that we've managed to keep going so well. Uh, from a product point of view, some of the things that we have uh, specifically sort of accelerated, uh, we have a, a new clock face on our devices, which uh, provides overnight oximetry levels, SpO2, which is oxygen level in your blood. Uh, we're also combining that into a new feature, which is available in premium called a health metrics dashboard. And what the health metrics dashboard is, is it pulls together a lot of sort of uh, vital signs from a physiological point of view. So it has your, your heart rate, your breathing rate, your SpO2, oxygen level. It also has a new, a new sensor, which is our skin temperature sensor. So we're tracking your skin temperature night to night and using that as a guide to your overall wellness and health. So those are a couple of things. And then specifically on COVID, we actually launched a research study in May to ask Fitbit users to contribute their data uh, to see if COVID affected the vital signs. And we had some very interesting results which have been um, put on a public archive with over a thousand positive COVID tests as cases. 
uh, in which we see eating rate increase significantly, we see resting heart rate change, and we also see something called heart rate variability change, all in response to the onset of a COVID infection. So uh, it's fascinating from a scientific point of view, and we're also say, currently trying to work to see can we use this in the actual real world scenario where we can give people an early warning or perhaps work with a testing company to kind of integrate a testing regime with the, with the wearable information. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. Thanks for explaining that. So as someone who spends their days embedded, kind of immersed in the research around this space, um, what, what would you want people to know about how they can interpret their data and really use it to make health and wellness decisions? Um, well, I think, I think specifically within the sleep domain initially, uh, I mean, our motivation is to give people accurate information that they can work with and also to give them content which is supportive. So the ideal scenario for us is, you know, a user who maybe isn't really conscious of their sleep patterns and uh, buys one of our devices or uh, engages with, with the sleep tile more and begins to realize they kind of do an end, end of one experiment. They realize what are the factors that for them influence their sleep and then has a knock on effect on the rest of their life. Uh, so we have, we have a lot of examples where uh, people have, have kind of bought a smartwatch and have initially quite poor baseline sleep levels. So specifically, we tracked a cohort of people with, say, less than six hours baseline sleep. And what we see over time is if they engage with the sleep tile, uh, I think on the average, you like 13, 14 minute increases in their baseline sleep within the first three months of ownership. So that's kind of just, just by giving people information that's factual and scientific and that's relevant to them directly, they can make this positive impact on their own sleep patterns. Um, I don't know if you wanted to also address sort of more broadly where, where, what sort of things we can do with wearables, but maybe I'll. Yeah, yeah, just in the, in the fitness kind of fitness space or anything else um, more broadly, I think that's interesting too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you, you picked up there uh, a couple of days ago, we, we received an FDA clearance on our ECG uh, software application, which runs on Fitbit Sense, and we also received clearance in the European Union. Uh, so that's that's a direction that Fitbit is is continuing to develop and invest in, which is to bring health features to our users. Uh, so, for example, the electrocardiogram app allows a person to screen for, for this a condition called atrial fibrillation when your heart beats irregularly. Um, right. But just taking a thirty second snapshot of their ECG, they can get a readout from our device, and they can also generate a report that they can bring to their doctor. Uh, to kind of discuss any findings and hopefully if there is an issue they can get that treated and uh, dealt with pretty quickly. So I think that's the general direction that wearables are going in is to try to bring as much health value uh, to consumers as possible. Yeah that is really interesting and so when will that EKG capability be available to consumers? Uh, so it's available as soon as they can buy a Fitbit Sense which I believe okay, so it's on there be now. available firsthand at the end of the month. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's um, that's really exciting. I was sharing, I don't know that I chatted with you about this, but um, the EKG piece is very interesting to me personally because my husband, who's a marathon runner, had a heart attack last year while we were backpacking. So we were on a remote mountain in the North Cascades. Yeah, and um, he's fine now, but um, very, very fit. And uh, we're both marathon runners. And 
he started to experience chest pain and so forth, but we were hours and hours away from any, I mean, it took us three hours to hike to the spot where we were. Um, and, and we happened to encounter a National Forest Service ranger who had an EKG capability on her device. And because she had that there with her on the mountain and could get a readout, um, that may have saved his life because that's what um, prompted us to head back down the mountain and seek help. Um, and so that is something that even if someone does not think that they would ever use something like that, it can certainly um, come in handy for sure. Um, especially if it's already integrated into the, the device that you're wearing. So yeah, that definitely yeah. got my attention when I, when I saw that release come across my, my desk. Wow, that's an amazing story. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it worked out so well. That's a very scary situation to be in. Um, yeah, so I mean, this is, you know, not just Fitbit, but I think all of, all of us interested in sort of the wearable space and, you know, handheld diagnostics. It's exactly the sort of capability which you know we should try and get out there because technically these things are possible um it's always a right, fine yeah you know it's that fine balance we work very closely you know with the fda we kind of went through our study design with them um you know they're, they're playing a great role in the fda in terms of you know trying to balance public uh public health but also making sure things are fully tested so you know it's a it's a, it was a great milestone for, for Fitbit to kind of meet that standard and, and get through that process. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. And I think that be, because, um, you know, once you have had a cardiac event like that, or if you are um, working with a cardiologist, there is this sort of kind of an anxiety or fear that sets in about resuming your fitness activities or going out there and getting out there and taking a run or, you know, going for a hike. And the more data that you can have sort of with you or available to you on your wrist at any given time can be really, uh, it can bring a lot of peace of mind. Um, and so there are a lot of users who I think will get a lot out of that feature, um, whether or not they ever end up in a scary situation like I was in, um, it can just be something that adds a little bit of extra peace of mind um, and helps them to keep on moving or um, continue being active after a cardiac event too. So I think it's important. Mm. Great. So is there anything um, that you are most excited about um, that you want to, to share about what's going on in this space? Um, well, I guess it just happens uh, since it was last week, we, uh, we launched a, I say an oximetry clock face, which gives an estimate of blood oxygen during the night and also the range. Uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about that. I think it's tech, technically it was a real feat to get that to, to work. Uh, so very happy with kind of the internal research and engineering team. And then I think in general, uh, there's a lot of potential in the, both the wellness space and also as we, we you know, develop this further as we kind of work more with clinical partners, getting into helping people with sort of respiratory disease or even as an early warning system for illness. Uh, so, so as a research direction, I think beginning to look at things like oximetry and respiration rate, uh, skin temperature really opens up some interesting possibilities that, you know, me as a researcher at Fitbit are very excited about. Yeah, well, that is exciting. So the oximetry, that is just so people know, the, the little measure that 
um, is usually something that is taken as part of your vital signs when you go into a medical appointment. And why is that important for, for people to know or keep track of? I mean, what does that tell them? Yeah, so uh, so we focus in on, on actually measuring oximetry during sleep period, okay. uh, primarily because I think that's kind of your best measurement of sort of your base physiology. Uh, and also it's it's pretty natural your, your oxygen level dips slightly at night, uh, just sort of due to normal physiological processes. Uh, and like 99.9% .9 of the time that oxygen level is going to be in a very healthy range. Uh, but there will be uh, situations where it's lower due to some problem. Um, there will also be situations from a kind of outdoor activity point of view. If you're at altitude, it's quite interesting to see how your oxygen level is, is affected by the altitude. So for example, if you're at say camping at nine or 10,000 feet, that level, which is normally 95%, might dip down to say 90%. And you know, it's, it's quite an interesting factor to look at. Um, you know, it, it kind of gives you a reassurance if you feel a little lightheaded or you feel a little dizzy at altitude, it just kind of reminds you that yeah, it's normal physiology. So uh, those are things that we're, we're interested in exploring more. I say we could also, in the future, there are conditions where people do have a chronic problem with low oxygen level at night. And hopefully we can help guide them or manage, help them manage their conditions. But that's kind of in the future from the research point of view. But we do believe that oximetry is a, a very important feature to bring into this sort of wearable space. Yeah, yeah, well, thank you. That sounds really interesting as well, especially the piece about the altitude and where I live in Washington, we're always up and down different mountains. And yeah, I can see how that would be reassuring to, to see um, what was going on from, from a blood oxygen standpoint, um, instead of just, oh, I feel lightheaded and you know, what's going on? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, all of the work that's going on in this space and so impressive that you guys are doing this while you're sheltered at home, still bringing this, this research um, and, and putting it out there. So thank you for sharing what no you guys problem. are working on. Where can people learn more about all of this um, and uh, about Fitbit and about you and about your work? Yeah, I mean, as you might expect, the, the website has a very rich uh, set of information. Uh, there's a, a very interesting up-to-date blogs under the Fitbit News sec section. Uh, we also have a Fitbit Science section on the website. So I would definitely say head, head to the website first as being the, the best place for all things Fitbit related. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for sharing all this information with us. Thanks for being here with me today. This has been really interesting. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Connor Hennigan from Fitbit. I really hope you enjoyed it. This month, as we look forward to the rest of the fall and election season, please take some time to check your voter registration. Make sure that you are all set for the coming election. Only about 20 days or so until ballots drop and it will be here before we know it. You can find me and the podcast on all social media channels at sleepwellstaywell and at sleepwellstaywell.com. Thank you so much and I will see you next Thursday. Bye-bye. It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast, now you know. 
Breaking out the show